This is a previously recorded episode. This show is broadcasting live from Detroit Sound Studios above Activate Gaming and is part of the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Joined as always by my co-host Justin Spiro, produced as always by Jessica. We are going to get right into tonight's show because we have a special guest on the line, NBA Hall of Famer, NBA Finals MVP, NBA Champion, Mr. Rick Barry. Uh, thank you, Mr. Barry, for joining us tonight on the verge of the NBA season coming to a close and the Detroit Pistons. Uh, making the playoffs for the first time since 2009, and we've got a lot to talk about tonight with you. Thanks for joining us. Well, I'm happy to join you, uh, but please call me Rick. And the uh, the other thing is, you you guys are raising hell out there in Detroit, aren't you? I, I, I've got some people telling me, you better not go on that show with those guys. Those guys are making everybody angry and getting them mad and doing stuff. So you're, you're creating quite a stir back there in Detroit. Yeah, we've been known to do that. We'll get that into that, you know, into that in a couple moments. No, no, we don't want to get into that. I, I've had enough controversy in my life. We'll yeah, exactly. I mean, you keep the controversy for you two guys, not for yeah, me. Okay? I, I'm, I've I'm had being, enough of that. I'm life. being told I'm a crap starter by Rick Barry. That's like the highlight of my life, I think, at this point. But let's get right into this. And the main reason we wanted you on, obviously, is you are the godfather of the underhanded free throw, and we have kind of an issue in this town regarding uh, our superstar center and his ability to make shots from the uh, charity stripe. I want to read to you a passage from an article that Seth Davis wrote a few uh, months ago, which you were quoted in regarding Andre Drummond. And this is uh, what Davis wrote. What really vexes Barry is that so few players have attempted to switch, especially the pros, who are awful free-throw shooters. He disdainfully points out when Detroit Pistons forward Andre Drummond missed 23 free-throws during a game against the Rockets last month. That was more than Barry, our guest, missed during his final two seasons in the NBA. That number was 19. Players like Drummond and the Clippers, DeAndre Jordan, might think they look silly shooting underhanded free-throws, but they look a lot sillier when opposing teams repeatedly foul them because they're so awful from the stripe. And this is uh, our guest quote. Why do these guys have an issue with this? Because it's unorthodox? Physicists have done all kinds of testing and said it's the most efficient way to shoot because there are fewer moving parts. Drummond is shooting, what, 35% for the season? That's freaking embarrassing. Can you tell me why someone who is embarrassing himself from the line wouldn't take 
the assistance from someone like you who might be able to help him substantially improve his game? I have no idea, to be honest with you. I really don't. It's, uh, there's been a number, there are a number of guys out there who would certainly be prime candidates to give it a try, at least try anything. I mean, Wilt even tried to do it. In fact, I, I was during the season, I think, when Wilt scored the 100 points in that one game, I think he was actually shooting underhand free throws and shot the best that he had. His technique was really not what it should have been. But it's all about trying to whether you make them or not. So I, I just don't understand why someone wouldn't want to try anything at all to try to get better at making free throws, the only part of the game where no one is trying to prevent you offensively from doing what you're trying to do. It's the only part of the game that's a constant every single time you step there. The ball's the same size. The basket is the same size. The distance is always the same. So if there was ever anything that came of basketball that you should be able to perfect, it should be free throw shooting. So it's, it's really beyond my comprehension. Those guys would have to be the ones to answer it. Uh, Shaq had told me that he felt, you know, that it was he was a hip hop kind of guy, and it wasn't cool enough for his image. You know, he's certainly entitled to that. But I just don't know how you live with yourself because, first of all, you're doing yourself a disservice, then you're doing your team a disservice, you're doing the organization and the owner a disservice, and you're doing the fan a disservice, and you're you're causing the team to lose basketball games. So they have to make that decision. But here's the deal: I, I can tell you something that happened with Andre. It's my son Scooter actually had him for a while. My son Scooter, though, was the one who played overseas and it actually should have been in the NBA. If they had their, you know, more than 12-man rosters, he would have made the Celtic team. Bird and McCann both told me that he was better than their number one draft pick, but they only had 12 spots and they had 13 no-cut contracts. So he played overseas till he was 40, and he's back now working for a company that has an incredibly sophisticated teaching tool for learning how to shoot the basketball. It's a sleeve that has sophisticated sensors in it. Um, it's the most amazing teaching tool I've ever seen. A lot of the players that I had to take it to, Jerry West, Chris Mullen, and all were blown away by it. And some college teams are using it. Some other pro teams are starting to use it. And he actually had it on, uh, on Andre for a little bit. And in a short period of time, a very short period of time, one of the flaws that Andre has is his elbow gets out there. He was able to get his elbow in at least eight degrees, which would certainly help him. But why? I think that Stan didn't want to mess around with with him during the season, but when the guy's that bad, I would think that anything you can do at any time would make sense. So hopefully they're going to get back to him and, and he'll get a sleeve on Andre and get to work with him some. And if he doesn't want to do underhand, they at least learn how to improve his shot shooting it the conventional way. So uh, hopefully he'll take a look at the, a look at that and, and he can get get to the point where he could become the go-to guy. Instead of the go-to guy with ball on the court, instead of the go-to-the-bench guy when the coach has to put him on the bench because he becomes a liability. Hi, Rick. Justin Spiro. I'm curious, if, if Andre Drummond were to call you tomorrow and say, you know, I want to get with you for a couple months and work with you every day, what's a reasonable expectation? I mean, he's at 35% right now. After a few months of working with you, adopting the underhanded motion, what do you think well, he could get to reasonably? Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really even take that long to be able to do it every day. I mean, he needs to go out every day and do it, but just to be able to show him how to do it, have somebody film it, and then let him work on it and just review it. Um, my teammate, George Johnson, was a 40-something percent shooter, and George eventually got up to 80%. Um, I didn't get a chance to work with him long, and I got to work with him for one season, and and he did eventually get to 80%. So can you imagine, you know, Andre at 80%, 80% that changes the whole dynamic of the game at the end of the game with a player like that. So, um, you know, he, he certainly should give some very serious consideration to doing something to improve his free throw shooting. As I say, if he wants to stay conventional, then certainly go and work with my son in the vibrato tech sleeve that he has, the solid shot sleeve. 
and and work on that. But you got to do something. I mean, you just can't continue to shoot such an abysmal percentage from the free throw line and and live with yourself. I just don't know how you can do that. And again, you're just letting so many people down other than yourself. Well, you made the you made the uh, point about Shaq earlier in the interview. And as a matter of fact, last week on SportsCenter, when they had a special edition of announcing who was getting inducted into the Hall of Fame this year, and Shaquille O'Neal being one of those guys, and ESPN sat down and interviewed him, one of the first things he said in the first minute of the interview was, he mentioned you. I don't know if you saw that, uh, about how he could have improved his free throw shooting, but he did say it, it, you know, it wouldn't have been cool. And you know, the thing with Drummond is he would have to shoot 15% better just to get to where Shaq was. That's how bad he is. If you could get him to 80%, that's three points a game right now um, between what he's shooting and what he could. And the question I have is, there seems to be a lot of enabling. A couple years ago when Drummond was shooting about 41 or 42% from the line, and people were saying, call Rick Barry, try underhanded, he uh, went on Twitter and said, look, folks, I am not shooting underhanded. It's not going to happen. And the current the the, the uh, beat writers at the time for the Detroit Pistons from the Free Press and News went on supporting him, saying it's you know it's ridiculous. He, he's not going to shoot. He's not going to make himself look silly shooting underhand, granny style. And I'm wondering how much of the current culture of the NBA is playing into the fact that someone who could fix something and become a better player not only refuses to do so, but is supported by members of the media. Well, it just shows you how foolish they are. I mean, anybody that, that would uh, support him in his thing to not try to improve is foolish because you, you just have to do that. And all this talk about trying to change the rules again to protect these guys because it screws up the game so badly. I even you know, said something to Adam Silver when he had the All-Star Weekend. He was there with the retired players. I'm on the board and said, please, please do me a favor. Do not change the rule. It's bad enough that you have it in there in the last two minutes you can't foul off the ball. I mean, one of the premises of sports, and I think you guys and all your listeners would agree to this, is that what you try to do when you evaluate the competition, how do we win, okay, whatever the sport may be? And what do you do? Don't you exploit the weaknesses of your opponent? Well, if that's a glaring weakness, how can you blame the opposition for exploiting that weakness? Are you supposed to put a rule in to try to change that? so that you don't have the game looking so ugly? Do you go in baseball because a guy can't hit a curveball? You tell him, well, when he's at bat, pitcher can only throw two curveballs. <laughs> That'd be ludicrous. Or let's say a defensive back is not really good on the deep, on the, on deep passes. Well, you can only throw two deep passes during the game towards that defensive back. That would be foolish. You're going to exploit the weakness. And so if a player has a glaring weakness, I don't blame the coaches for exploiting that and forcing the other coach to make an adjustment. So it's screwing up the game, but it's up to the coaches to make their players be better at that particular skill. So anyway, at least there's another alternative to worrying about being silly and shooting it underhanded. Because as my father told me, because I told him I didn't want to do it. And my father back in those days, when he wanted me to do it, the girl shot that way. So I had a reason to not want to do it because the girl shot that way. If I can't shoot that way, that's where the girls shoot. And he said, son, they can't make fun of you if you're making them, which is so true. And I think I think that's a great way to look at it, especially Andre Drummond's getting made fun of plenty for making 35% of his free throws. I, it's become, at this point, a, a local laughing stock and really a laughing stock around the league. I'm curious, if you're in a position as general manager, Stan Van Gundy's coach and president of this organization in Detroit, 
Would you build your franchise around a guy like Andre Drummond who has such a glaring weakness in his game and is not willing to address it? Can he be your franchise player for a team that's going for an NBA championship? Well, I think you have to address the issue. If, if we're going to be paying you this much money, you don't have any choice. You have got to improve your free throw shooting. Now, whether he does it with the sleeve, you know, and used a solid shot, or whether he goes and works with me, he, he needs to have to. He has to be required to do that. I mean, if you're going to pay a guy multi millions of dollars, he has to go out and try to get better at the skills that he's not proficient at. I mean, he really does. And I guess the only way to do it is to take a strong stand to say, if you're not going to do it, we're going to find you. And, uh, you know, I don't know if the Players Association would get involved and say, no, you can't really do that. You can't force a guy to try to get better, which I think would make them look rather foolish. So there's a lot of things that have to come into consideration. But certainly he has to improve in that area uh, one way or another. And it has to be demanded of him. When you're being paid that much money, you can't have a glaring weakness like that that teams can exploit. So I would think he would want to do it. Uh, certainly on his own, and if not, then the team would have to do it. I mean, come on, you got to try something. Don't you think it's, if it's he wrong? Don't you think if he did try it and it worked, that this nonsense about being embarrassing and his fellow, uh, you know, fellow uh, NBA players making fun? Don't you think the public would grasp onto a story like that? It seems like the uh, kid at Louisville, and I'm going to probably butcher his name, Chianu. Anoaku, uh, I'm sure I killed his name there, but he got he got a lot of positive attention, national attention yeah. for trying to shoot underhanded. And you know, don't you think that this would be looked upon as someone trying to help his game and actually be a positive? Yes, of course. I think that he would be respected for the fact that hey, he, he's considered you know he cares enough about the team that he wants to go out there and he's working at it. He's trying to do anything within reason. And certainly it's not unreasonable to ask him to go ahead and try another technique in order to prove himself. And the young man from, from Louisville, uh, I watched him. Uh, his technique is, leaves, a lot, you know, leaves a lot to be desired, but at least he was trying it. So I certainly respected that. And if he were to, you know, were able to do something, I mean, I don't, I'm surprised because Rick Patino, I know Rick Patino. I'm surprised Rick didn't call me and ask me, Rick, can you, can you come out here and work with this guy so he can, he's willing to do it and to at least get him so that he had a, pro, a technique that would have worked better for him because it's all about in the technique. And then after that, it's just a matter of repetition. My youngest son, you know, Canyon is, is doing it now. And it just took him a little while and he hadn't put the time and the effort into it because he started it late, but now he's up to the point. He shot 85% last year and he's really got it down. And he had a bunch of balls that, wow, I didn't know how they came out of the basket. He could have been even better possibly, but he's turned himself into an outstanding free throw shooter as a result of it. And he was willing to make the change. I didn't ask him to. He just come up to me before his junior year in high school. So that I think I got to switch to underhand. I said, great. I said, but don't you think it would have been nice if he decided to do that before the summer, as opposed to two weeks before the season started. And so, you know, he, he got up and was shooting in the seventies, got up in the high seventies. And I just said, look, it's just repetition. You just keep doing it, keep working at it. You've got the technique down. Now it's just a matter of getting the feel and gain confidence. And now he's at the point where you know he's shooting it exceptionally well. So I, that can happen. And then I saw a teammate of mine say George Johnson go from 40-something percent up to 80. And so there's no question in my mind that if taught properly and if he's willing to put the time in, that Andre could become a proficient free-throw shooter shooting underhead. But again, he has an alternative. You know, He can get a hold of me. Now, I'm not going to do it for nothing, I can tell you that. That's for sure. I don't but think money should be an issue be willing with him. to help him. Well, I'd certainly be willing to go ahead and give him an opportunity well, and re- to learn the oh, technique. That, see, I took mine and refined it, guys. I was a very good free-throw shooter, but I became a great free-throw shooter late in my career. I took my father's technique and I refined it. If you look, my last six years, 
I was over 92%. My last two years, I was over 94%. So I actually got better at my free throw shooting later in my career. Yeah, we were talking about that right before you came on, that from basically your age 30 year on, you never shot below 90%, and your last two years was almost uh, 95% and 93.5%, which is just, you know, with 35 years old. Yeah, I averaged 94. I shot over 94 my last two years, and like you say, I must only 19. And and I'll tell you, it's much more difficult to shoot a high percentage when you don't shoot a lot of free throws, because if you miss one, you've got to go weeks without missing any to get it back up there. Whereas earlier in my career, I was shooting 12, 13 free throws a game. If I had that technique now, I would have put up some really crazy numbers. I was always mad at myself, actually, every time I missed. And I was upset with myself that I didn't, I didn't make 100 or more in a row consecutively in competition. I had the record at 60 for a while, and then people have broken that. But I always wanted to get 100 or more, and I was very disappointed that I didn't do that. Had I had this other technique and were shooting over 10 a game, I think I might have been able to accomplish that. All right, one more thing I want to talk about before we get into uh, talking about the Hydrus uh, performance uh, beverage that you're involved in right now. But there's one other thing, and you kind of mentioned controversy at the beginning. I'm, we're not going to get you any trouble. But Spiro, uh, my co-host here, went to a game, sat on the baseline at the Palace, and all he did when uh, Andre Drummond walked up to the free throw line was pantomime you taking an underhanded free throw uh, just to suggest to him that maybe he should change his ways and, you know, maybe the Pistons scoring two or three po- more points a game instead of winning 43 or 44 games this year, maybe they would have won 48 or 47, got home court advantage in the first round. Uh, Andre Drummond responded to that pantomime by threatening to kill my co-host and then at the end of the game had to be restrained from going after him by Reggie Jackson and his other teammate Steve Blake. It's become such an epidemic at the Palace that They've come up to us and told us that if you mention free throws to him, we will be banned from the building forever. And I'm wondering how much, just based on that knowledge, how much do you think of this as mental with him? Well, sometimes it can be a mental thing for a player to get up there and do it. But again, if you have proper technique, which he doesn't have overhand, he does not have correct technique. And as I say, so if he's that adverse to it, which is, you know, that's his prerogative. And I don't ever try to force anybody into trying to do that. It's, it's you know, certainly up to them. But he has an alternative to do that. If he would get and use the solid shot sleeve with my son that he has. There's no question he's going to get to be better. It's the greatest teaching tool ever. It becomes almost a challenge to a guy. And every time you shoot, you get instantaneous feedback. There's no doubt that that would improve his free throw shooting. So if nothing else, he should at least try that to try to help himself. And I do think that there would have been a bigger impact on the Pistons win and loss record. Here's why. You say, you know, three points or so. It would have probably been more than that. And the reason being is that if he were an 80% free throw shooter, he would have been in the game a lot of times at the end of the games. They would have been going to him, and he would have been scoring even more points. So it would have had an even bigger impact on the one loss for the Pistons had he been a guy that they could have gone to at the end of the game and who could shoot 80% from the free throw line. Well, that's an excellent point, because I looked up his minutes per game and compared him to some of his contemporaries like uh, DeMarcus Cousins and some other big guys, 22, 23 years old, and he's playing about two minutes less a game. Uh, than those guys. And it's not because of anything but having to come off the floor like he did the other night in the last night. He didn't play the last nine minutes of the game against um, Washington 
over the weekend because of the foul issue. He didn't play the last of a game that they they clinched a playoff berth. He did not play the last eight fifty six because it was a two point game and they started fouling him. So before we we let you go, we really appreciate your time. Can we talk a little bit a bit about uh, this uh, business that you're into, Hydrus Performance Hydration Beverage? Can you tell us what it's all about, what it can do for you? I'm yeah. guessing it's for you know af- people not like me, you know, athletes who are trying to uh, not get dehydrated. Can you give us a little information on this product? Yeah, well, it's not only you know great for athletes. I mean, it's great for every for everybody. Uh, most people, there's been a study done. Most people walk around every day in a dehydrated state. They don't drink enough water they, and they're not hydrated. And when you're not hydrated, it's already been proven that there are all types of ailments and things that you could have that could be, uh, you know, can alleviate them or get rid of them by being hydrated. I mean, people with back problems, headaches, things of that nature. So they can go to the website, they can read about it. This product has no sugar and that's another great thing, especially for people who have problems with you know, insulin and diabetics or what have you. No sugar in it. And it has been proven and tested to be one of the a superior product as far as getting the electrolytes and the water into your system on a very, very fast basis and doing it in a very wonderful manner as far as getting you hydrated a lot better than the other products. So check it out at hydrusperformance.com, H-Y-D-R-U-S performance.com. And put it, if you're going to put an order in when you get the promo code, put my number 24 in there and you'll get an extra discount and try it out. It comes in little packets that you can travel with. You just pour it into a half of your bottle, you're ready to go. And it comes in another hydro, uh, concentrated form that you can take it and have it in your home and you just take it out and measure it pour it into whatever size bottle you want with the water in it and you're ready to go. It's that simple. And again, got different flavors and eventually we're going to be doing some stuff overseas and getting to the hospitals and over to Africa and places like that where a lot of people are having real problems, especially kids who don't want to have to drink some of the other drinks when they get dehydrated, have diarrhea, things of that nature. But this is something that they can actually drink because it's palatable, has has some nice taste to it. And I, I use it on a regular basis. I've seen my wife, you know, her headaches go away. It hasn't been a problem when she drinks enough of this to keep herself hydrated. So check it out. 24 in the promo code, hydrusperformance.com. Appreciate it. You will definitely and, uh, check good it luck out. To you guys, and uh, I hope I hope you don't get you know I hope you go thrown out of the arena there next you know, next time you're in there. With, and do the underhanded stuff with him. Yeah, okay? <laughs> we'll try to avoid that. <laughs> Could you give us just one name of someone who told you not to come on the show? <laughs> one name. Uh, no, one actually, name. I did. I got me. There was something that was sent out to me that you guys are, you know, creating quite a controversy over there, and some of the tweets that you're doing, and say you should tell them not to go on the show because people are. Gonna, I, I don't know why people disrespect me because I go on to talk about something that we've spoken about that actually is a topic that has, I think something should be of interest if you're a Detroit Pistons fan. Uh, and, you know, we didn't talk about anything controversial, so that's why I said I had no problem doing it. You guys do what you got to do, but uh, I'm telling you, you're, you're raising hell. Oh, well, thanks for <laughs> blowing right people, through that stop sign. I've got a lot of people. We, that, that's basically the story of my life, bro, Rick, and uh, I, I don't think you well, are... Well, you the Simon Cowell of broadcasting. Yeah, right? exactly. It's <laughs> <laughs> a new Twitter Simon's money, right? Both of us, we all should be making Simon's money. All right. Well, we will post a link to Hydrus and uh, the promo code and everything. We really appreciate your time, and uh, we'll try to stay out of trouble if you do, Rick. All right. Well, I, I, listen, I, I'm too old to be getting into too much trouble with this. So anyway, I had plenty of it in my younger days. Take care, yeah. guys. All right. Thanks, thanks, thanks a lot. Thanks so much. N- NBA Hall of Famer, Rick Barry. I mean, this guy... <laughs> you're, you're, you're younger than me, obviously, by about, what, uh, 15 or 16 years, but... For Rick Barry, who was just an absolute shit starter, his whole—I mean, this guy was known for just 
controversy following him. We could Google it in the break, and we can list all the things that uh, he was involved in controversy-wise. For him to come on and say that he's being warned not to come on the Detroit <laughs> Sports Rack podcast? What? I, just, I, I figured he like was kind of joking or something about because I told him what we were no, you know, there, but uh, I thought at, at first, but then he said that people were contacting him, telling him not to come on the show. <laughs> who, who are we? Who, who are these people? Who even has Rick Barry's number to call him up and be like, "Don't, don't get out of it. These guys are bad news." <laughs> I, I, I was caught so off guard by that. Like we had this sort of uh, rhythm with the interview that we wanted to be in early, and we we're going to mention is his performance drink, which seems like a good product, and. He comes out with, oh, you guys are starting a real shitstorm in Detroit. It's, <laughs> we figured this guy had no, no clue who we even were, and I'm sure he didn't before people reached out to him to warn him, but that was really the highlight of my week. Rick Barry saying that we're causing problems and that people yeah, advised yeah. him not to come. I love that he just blew right to the stop sign and came on anyway. I mean, he, oh, yeah. <laughs> if you know, know anything we, about – my, my familiarity with Rick Barry was when I was growing up, he was on TV. He was an analyst. Uh, as a son who played for the Pistons, ended up being an analyst too for ESPN. That's because I'm, you know, he retired, I think, in like 1970, or excuse me, 1980. So, and I like really didn't start following the NBA until about 81. So I didn't really know him as a player at all. But as an, as an analyst, he was very, kind of Don Cherry, very outspoken. Yeah. yeah, not, yeah, Don Cherry esque. I mean, if that's probably someone, not so much a character, not afraid of anything, obviously. Yeah. And, uh, he wasn't uh, afraid to come on this show. Before we go to a break, I uh, want to give out our sponsor. The DSR is sponsored by KellyTickets.com. April shows in the D include Bruce Springsteen. I guess he's still performing here. We don't have any anti-LGBT laws, so I guess the, the boss is coming to Detroit still. Uh, Iron Maiden, Iggy Pop, Justin Bieber, all you believers out there in our audience. I'm sure there's tons of them. Uh, you can call KellyTickets.com. Uh, Tigers tickets, obviously, Red Wings and Pistons playoff tickets. I mean, this is no better time of the year to uh, call Cali tickets, C-A-L-I, going back to Cali, tickets.com, or you can call 877-225-8425 to lock down your seats right now. You mentioned the Detroit Sports Rag. You get 10% off your order. Promo code 24 probably will work with them too. So if you want to mention Rick Barry, the Detroit Sports Rag, how Brad Osmus is terrible. Any of those things will get you 10% off. And we are going to our first break. We're trying to regroup. Not much Not much really sets me back, but the fact that an NBA Hall of Famer just said that he was being told not to come on this show because, <laughs> and we were, cave anyway. because we're a bunch of assholes starting shit. Getting, <laughs> it sounded like he knew about the band at the past, all yeah, that stuff. I mean, he like, not news he, to like him. he knew all about it. All right, Jessica, you we, let's go to the break because I, I I think I need a drink. <laughs> I'm just in shock. We'll be back. We got wings, pistons, and I mean, really, on any other day, the, our, our guest David Harnes, who's coming. We should mention that. Yeah, Dave Harnes yeah, will mean, be here around uh, six twenty to six thirty. Yeah, the victim in the Drew Sharp plagiarism scandal. We're gonna have an interesting talk. Well, if you'd have told me two or three weeks ago that our B guest on the program would have been the guy who was ripped off by Drew Sharp and who's willing to come in here and talk about it. Coming in studio. He's coming from Lansing. Yeah. He's driving people. He is driving down 96 as we speak, coming from Lansing to be in the studio to talk about Sharp Ghazi. 
and that guy is the B guest tonight. <laughs> Who's the musical guest this evening? Led Zeppelin? I mean, what what is going on here? All right, well, I've talked too much. I've said it all. We'll be back after this quick break. Welcome back to the Detroit Sports Rag Podcast. Moss and I just took a cold shower, not together, <laughs> to wash off the rattled juice that's all over us after that incredible Rick Barry interview where a Hall of Famer, eight-time NBA All-Star, NBA champion, said that we were the um, shit starters in Detroit, that he <clears throat> had been warned not to appear with us on this very program, and called Moss the Simon Cowell 
of Detroit. Uh, was it so just Simon Cowell of Detroit? Simon Cowell radio, which, of Radio. Um, quite an interview. Uh, we had high expectations, but I, th- I think it certainly cleared our high expectations. And really, I mean, I, he was strong on Drummond. I mean, he, he said he would not invest in this guy as your franchise guy unless he addressed the free throw issue. And not only is Drummond showing no evidence of on the floor of addressing the free throw issue, but he hasn't expressed any interest in addressing the issue verbally. So he hasn't even, you know, you have Johnny Manziel in Cleveland uh, before they released him saying, you know, I got to grow up. I got to be a big boy. At least he was paying. Well, lips. he kind of did today. I don't know if you saw it. You might not have he seen it. No, not about the free throws. That's what I'm, ta- yeah, that's what right, I'm right, talking right, about. Right. I'm talking about the free throws, okay. strictly the free throws. And I saw his little bit. By the way, we'll get into that in a second. The team got in his ear about that. I'm surprised he even went along with that. That's not Andre Drummond having some epiphany in, his, you know, in the bathroom this morning when he was brushing his teeth, okay? That was a team-controlled no. message, and anyone that buys that are the same idiots that bought that his friend died, and that was why he was sulking. But. Now, I do think that was him because it was so stupid. I think the, I think the uh, tweet the other day when he realized he was getting bombed on. No, no, media, I, no, the, no, I that think, was him. No, I think Today that, was a team. You're I, right. No, I agree. I think that was him. I I wouldn't be proud. I love giving him the blame for that idiotic excuse. But Rick Barry flat out said, if this issue is not addressed by the player, he would not want this guy as his franchise. He said he'd find him. He said he'd start finding him. He started finding him. I mean, yeah. Which you know, which not going to happen in this well, modern age. I mean, if you Rick Barry's to. not in the same. You know, this is not nineteen seventy six anymore. But Rick Barry flat out said, "This is not the guy." You know, you said you're going to pay this guy millions and millions of dollars. This, this is a guy who knows a lot more about basketball than you and me. A, a very sharp guy, obviously a very blunt guy, who has been agreeing apparently with everything that you and I have been saying for quite a long time now is that you can't have this guy as your franchise player if you want to be taken seriously as a viable contender. And, and you know, I think I think Rick nailed it. This is a, It's such a fundamental issue where you can just swallow your pride, just a little bit of that pride, and try something. And if you know, Rick said it, if you have something that you know could improve your free throw percentage that greatly and improve your team's chances that greatly, as, as well as your individual performance, and actively just consciously choose not to do it, what does that say about you as a professional? And he said it's not fair to the fans. It's not fair to your teammates. It's not fair to your coach. It's not fair to your owner. I, I, I thought Rick came in very strong on Andre, Andre Drummond, and I think his feelings reflect what our feelings are. And this is, you know, again, no one no one would even be talking about this stuff if it weren't for us. Okay, uh, Don. And, and we – Make the Pistons great again. We have started – the discussion on this, and I think it's good that we have, and I think people are starting to catch on. But well, you started the discussion, but let's talk about that for a second because we haven't been on the air since what went down over the weekend, and the low point of this whole. Oh, this was unbelievable. This is worse than him attacking me. Yeah, and this is such a joke because there's such a direct connect between what happened over the weekend and what happened a couple months ago with you, where. Everyone chose to ignore it because it's Detroit sports rag related. So, not and they didn't try to bury it uh, and not even mention it. That girl Ashley, who works for ninety seven one, said I wouldn't even have talked about it at all. Even tweeted it out if I knew it was Justin Sparrow in the Flat Detroit sports rag. Flat out said it. We still have a record of it. So it's just unbelievable that they can't connect the dots here. 
And I heard Rod Beard yesterday uh, on on Ryan Schuling's show after I was uh, I got done. I was listening on the way home, and he comes on and he's like making it sound like this was an isolated incident where you know he tired of that. He I mean, come on. He said, "Oh, it happened one other time." Like the other, the other he so, day, he sulks like once every three or four games. Aaron Baines comes off the court. He doesn't high five the guy, which is complete disrespect to your your teammate. Uh, he refuses to get off the bench. Stan Van Gundy uh, has to try to pick him up. A guy who's probably 6'11", 280. He's trying to physically lift the guy after the game. Come and celebrate with your teammates. And Drummond like wouldn't do it. He had to be yelled at. He like finally to say something to him. Get up or something. Get the I don't know what got. Get the fuck up or whatever it was. Pulls him up. I mean, this is so embarrassing. And we've got people like Rod Beard. We've got this douchebag Jake Chapman who works for the station that covers the team one hundred five point one. Justin White and the biggest enabler of all, um, Vince Ellis, who I referred to because it was I didn't mention it to, to Barry, but it was Vince Ellis and Vincent Goodwill. Who, when fans a couple of years ago saying try to shoot underhanded, they tried to make it like a racial issue, like oh that's not going to happen from a player from our community, like like hey, like being black or white has anything to do with this. I'm pretty sure a uh, Chianu Awaku or the is that a, it sounds like a very <laughs> the Ar- Aryan nation name I mean, there. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm pretty sure <laughs> the guy who uh, was in uh, that Spike he, Lee movie, David Duke's brother, or? with uh, Denzel Washington. Yeah, I mean seriously, this isn't a race. They tried to make it like a cultural I race. No, that's your that's your thing. Yeah, they I should mean, always give you give Jeff Moss a, a TM on trying to make something uh, a, a racist issue that has nothing to do with that. But. Okay, whatever. But th- this is. This is such a joke. I can't imagine in any other sport a guy refusing to try to get better at something he is historically bad at. I mean, 35% for the number, taking seven free throws a game is epically bad. And for him to act like that, make this pathetic excuse that he was thinking about a deceased friend who died weeks or months ago, and then go out to a club on Saturday that he's promoted on the flyer. Uh, that didn't stop him from going out and partying, Andre Drummond. Well, I, I mean, this guy's I, I, a, a mental midget, child, petulant <laughs> moron, and I'm sick of it. Even if we were going to believe the story, and I, I think Schuing made this point on the DSR uh, Facebook page, it, it's kind of like whose mind even goes there, even if we were to believe him, like, oh, my friend's dying, he's not going to get to watch me in the postseason. It's almost as, sens- as insensitive as Justin Bieber going to the Anne Frank Museum and saying, I would hope she would have been a believer. I mean, you know, it's kind of like... Even, God forbid his friend's not going to watch him get swept by the Cleveland Cavaliers well, just, or even, the Toronto Raptors. Like, not even like... Sorry you're going to miss that. I mean, this isn't like missing The Force Awakens and having J.J. Uh, <laughs> Abrams bringing you uh, a video while you're on your deathbed. This is going to be an annihilation that's going to last a few days. Uh, I don't think your friend's missing on anything. Well, the, the, only, the only thing that's even a reasonable facsimile of this that I can recall, and it's not even anything that actually happened, but in Bad News Bears, when Ahmad commits a few errors in the game, they get mercy 30-0 to zero in the first game of the season. And Ahmad, the center fielder, goes up, uh, right fielder goes up into the tree and is, takes off his uniform and... Walter Matthau has to crawl up into the tree and, and say, you know, uh, Hank Aaron had the 42 errors in the game and get back out there. And he goes, I'm not going to play no baseball. And he says, no, get out there, kid. You know, you got this. And it's that it was like Stan Van Gundy like having to 
you know, prod Drummond off the bench. It's but the he wasn't even prodding him to play. He was prodding to go over and say, "So celebrate with your right. teammates." You it, just made the playoffs for the first time. And in I don't your think career. I don't think little ten year old Ahmed was uh, about to get a twenty million dollar a year contract in a couple of months. And you know that's that's the issue here. We're in year four. I'm tired of the excuses. I made this point over and over and over again. Everyone out there listening, I don't care what age you are. If you're above twenty, okay, you know someone. I knew a lot of guys my senior year of college, twenty one, twenty two years old that were pushovers, that were mentally weak, that would have anger issues, meltdowns, the like. I'm 29 now. None of these guys are suddenly uh, bastions of of mental health and, and strength and fortitude at this point. Well, it's like I said yesterday, he'd have to have a lobotomy. This Basically, not a lot. That's it. So I'm tired of hearing the argument that, he, oh, you know, he can mature, give him time. You can mature in a very incremental way once you pass a certain point. But you pretty much are who you are. You're about ninety three percent of who you are mentally at that age. Once you're, you know, entering your mid twenties, Andre Drummond is not going to go from the biggest baby in the history of the league. I challenge anyone to name someone worse to a guy who can be the cornerstone for a NBA viable. Can we, can we talk about Justin contender. White real quick? I mean, that's something else that happened since our last. Justin White was going on a how about block fest for people even like favoriting stuff we said. I, it, that's my favorite bit is when people like you and I will bomb somebody on Twitter and it'll get, you know, maybe seven, eight, nine likes, whatever. And someone will go in and just, every just like. nuke, nuke every, <laughs> every person like. that liked it. <laughs> and then the worst is like when you get Matt Derry who will go through someone that even follows you or me and not even anyone that favorited anything that was against him and just block every single person that follows us. Right. I mean, just well, I mean, hilarious. You know, I'm legitimately, I probably have about twelve or 13,000 Twitter followers legitimately without the whatever bots there are. Can you imagine sitting home on a Friday and just blocking everyone that follows? I mean, I've been told by at least 15 or 20 people – that Matt Derry's done that to them when he's had they've he's they, that never they've tweeted never, at him, never tweeted never him. mentioned him. Some of these people don't even tweet; they just follow. Yeah, me. they don't even tweet at all to anyone. But let's get back to White because we haven't told the backstory. But the other day, he was doing the sulking and not getting up. And Justin White interviews him after the game. This was before the game before Washington. Um, on the road. Was it Orlando? I don't even remember who it was. But he interviews him in the locker room and doesn't ask him about any of that. While, meanwhile, social media, Twitter and Facebook and everything's blowing up about his behavior. And Justin White not only doesn't answer the question, when someone who's not even DSR-related calls him on it on Twitter, he said, they're on the verge of the, making the playoffs. They're on the cusp. They got one game left, and they just won a big game. I'm not going to ask him about his body language and about po- not celebrating. I mean, this is this is a new low for Fox Sports Detroit. This is a station that once employed Ryan Field, who told me on his way out the door, uh, broadcast partners, baby, basically hint, hint, nudge, nudge. We're not going to ask any tough questions. As bad as Ryan Field was, and celebrating with Miggy and wearing his Tigers garb. This was a new low for Fox Sports Detroit. Justin White purposely not asking a question that everyone in the audience was on on pins and needles waiting him to ask. And he could have asked it in a nice, polite, innocuous way, even. Yeah, like, what what were you thinking there at the end? You know, it doesn't have to be something confrontational. You seemed a little upset. It doesn't have to be adversarial. No, it didn't have to be. You know, Justin White is the kind of guy... He's a disgrace to his profession. This is a guy that gets a journalism degree, a broadcasting degree, and then goes into at this Syracuse. field. At Syracuse. And then at Syracuse, which is the Harvard of that field. 
and makes a complete mockery of the education and of the name of the school. Justin White's the kind of guy who, after the malice at the Palace, would say that you can't interview Ron Artest because the Pacers won a big game early in the season against a defending NBA champion. (laughs) But because the Pacers won, you can't interview Jermaine O'Neal or Ron Artest. This guy getting a degree, and I said this the other day on Twitter, this guy getting a degree from Syracuse Broadcast School is like going to UPenn School of Business, Wharton, the Wharton School of Business, and then running a 7-Eleven. That's basically the equivalent. That's what he's doing with his degree. That he can't – that he's working for a station that carries the Pistons, carries the Red Wings, the Tigers, whatever, and refuses to ask even the most basic question of a player after a game – like we both said, it didn't have to be in your face, but the question had to be asked. Take your degree, Justin Wade, from Syracuse and wipe your ass with it because that's all it's good for. You are an embarrassment to your profession. And these guys, it's just, you know, it's no different than Tim Twentyman, really, at this point. And Vincent Goodwill the other day, uh, you know, I don't know if anyone saw this, but he tweeted out the PR people in the bull, of the Bulls say that. Uh, uh, Derek Rose isn't playing tonight, and I said to him, "Oh, your coworkers, because basically working for Comcast, you're 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 in PR also. Good show." Can we talk about Jake Chapman and this other Pistons website fanboy blogger guy? We were getting called up from Chapman and multiple other people. The second Drummond came out with his ridiculous explanation on Twitter about his friend dying. <laughs> yeah, they people, bought it. People are not only did they buy it, they're shaming us. I hope you guys are happy now. <laughs> like. It, uh, how stupid are you? Who believes this stuff? It's been this happening a, for months. This is a guy. A, a Dave Hogue tweeted this today, and I retweeted it. It's out there for anyone that wants to see it. That the problem with Drummond is he denied that he had done anything out of the ordinary after the game when asked about it. He said, oh, there was nothing going on. No big deal. So he's, he's, he's lying. He's either lying then or, or now. So well, it's he's a liar. It, we know that. Well, he can't. You know, I would say he's probably lying both times. I think the friend thing is a lie, and I think obviously it's a lie that he wasn't acting out of the ordinary. Well, first this of all, he, lied, he, he came after you and he lied about it. I was it. getting to that next. He they said, "Oh, we saw you. You know, it was an issue with the fan there. What was going on with that? I don't know what you're talking about." That's what he said. I don't even know what you're talking about. Then deny it. Just say I, I have no clue what you could possibly be referencing. Even though I was shooting this guy death glares from the opening free throw line warm up to the end of the game with after the buzzer goes off. I threatened to kill this guy. I confronted him physically and had to be restrained by Reggie Jackson and Steve Blake. So, I mean, you know, you can say what you want about this guy, but he's a a pathological liar at this point. And, again, you look at what is going on around this guy with the enabling of the Jake Chapmans. Justin White's basically a team employee. I mean, he's not, but he is. I... I'm trying. This is like a movement for me. This is my. This is sort of like my my cause in this town, and it's finally gaining momentum. Put pressure. Just put pressure on. I don't know what's going to happen. Well, just keep putting. We're, we're just we're keep putting. Already raising the awareness, and that's. I think uh, we're oh, yeah. we're succeeding well, to a large did. degree. Well, I, I was the and first I want to thank you uh, for booking both guests tonight. Yeah, thanks. Uh, because I had nothing to do with getting Harns here or uh, getting NBA Hall of Famer Rick Barry on the phone. Uh, great job of producing tonight's show on top of co-hosting. Uh, those guests wouldn't have been on without Justin Spiro, and uh, appreciate your 
hard work getting both of them on. Well, thanks for that sentiment. I, I, I just I think if we have any opportunity to affect change in a positive way in this town one way or another, I think that's a good thing. I think, you know, I don't want to have a an inflated sense of our, our self-worth or, or whatever. You know, I, I don't think that we're the end-all, be-all. But I do think we can affect change in small ways. I think we've changed the narrative on Andre Drummond in this town, and he's done us a lot of favors in, in that regard in the last couple of days. And also even you look at our second guest, Dave Harns, coming in shortly, the Drew Sharp plagiarism story. Say what you want, but this is something where even people that have no affiliation with the DSR whatsoever are still commenting on every single free press article calling him a plagiarist and whatnot. So, you know, we just – Yeah, we're great. We are pretty great. But um, let, me, let me switch subjects for a second and I want to talk about uh, something I tweeted out earlier today and that was that I plan whenever the Pistons – opponent is uh, figured out, if it's going to be either Toronto or Cleveland, that when that does occur and before game one of the playoffs, I am going to call, as a representative of the DetroitSportsRag.com, the PM drive show, either in Cleveland or Toronto, and I am going to give the playbook to the fan base of that city. Have to. What they need to do to when Andre Drummond comes to shoot a free throw. And if I had any questions, if I was doing something awful as a fan of the Pistons before tonight, the fact that people down at the Palace seem to be trying to get into Rick Barry's ear not to come on our show Is tonight. Is that what you think it came from the Pistons I, and not the Detroit I don't media? Think, no, I think, yeah, I don't think the Does, media. Because Detroit media, they're fucking lazy. Who's you know, who's going to be calling? You think Vince Ellis is calling... Uh, Rick Barry, oh, you probably how shouldn't go Pist- on that the, show. You think the Pistons caught wind of this? Oh, yeah. Oh, you don't think everything we do? Come on, man. you got to get with the times. Everything that we're doing now Yeah, well, they did grab me by the followed. arm. They did grab me by the arm, get in my face, and say, Not we just know them. who you are. Not just them. It's the Tigers. It's the Pistons. It's the Red Wings. It's the Lions. Well, I already, know, I already know the Tigers follow us. Right. But the, I but I and was then told the Lions, about, too. But I was told just the other day by someone, a DSR contributor who I won't name, that there's someone in the front office of the Red Wings who reads everything that we write and is very hyper aware of the criticism of ba- of um, Blashill and more specifically Ken Holland. That they're that they're they are aware of what's going on. I wonder what they think of it. Well, they don't. Well, I can tell you what they think of it. What? Oh, they're not happy. They're not happy with us. Well, I mean, come are they, on. they don't think we have any legitimate uh, no. gripes there. Members of the front office of the Red Wings, yeah, or people when they. Well, I'm telling you, there's. I'm telling you, there's people in the Tigers organization that thought we had legitimate gripes about Dombrowski. I understand that. So, but there was a. There it's was, not like yeah. it's unprecedented no, for someone to I, read us and be like, uh, "That's true." Yeah, and I'll that's give you true. the names of those people after we're off the air. Here, no, that's but. true. There could be people who want a more analytic view of the Red Wings. Yeah. There were people not, that read us and agreed with us in the front office for the Tigers. Yeah. The, the the Red Wings. Um, really are pissed off, I think, at a lot of the things that are going on online. The bloggers, uh, not just us, people like... I, I think they're pissed off at Prashant. I think that... They should hire Prashant. No, they should. They, he's overqualified. But, but I think they're <laughs> mad because, look it, and why wouldn't they be? They've had a free ride for decades. Well, it's the same thing They've with the Detroit media. They neutered members of the media covering the team who never question anything. They never get a tough question from Khan, St. James... Or call fan ever, so they've got that going for them. But now this new dynamic of Twitter, they're getting bombed constantly, even by people who used to be, you might even say, 
not fanboys, but more sympathetic than we are. Like Kyle and uh, that Kyle, um, what's it, Winging It in Motown or whatever, that website that Prashanth writes for. Criticism coming from all angles, but they didn't get any from anyone else. So it's it's all brand new. If it wasn't for Twitter, there still wouldn't be anything. I mean, now we, we, have, a, we have a say, and we can talk candidly and criticize the team, and it's out there, and we've got fans, and it spreads. It seeps, and they don't want that. They want the coverage they're getting from the free press and the news, which is sunshines and rainbows, 20, Brad Galley tweeting out a picture of 25 with, with straight no, seasons. Zero discernible difference between a team website reporter and the Detroit News or Free Press. No, no, you can, you can read an article side by side. You can't tell which one came from where. Which is a good transition into, I think, the last topic of this segment. And we're going to probably take a break in the next few minutes and then wait for Harns. But this was an article, and i got to give you credit for this, too, because I'm not sure if this ever gets posted if it's not for your I'm crusade. Credit, I'm getting credit left and right. Well, I'm trying to keep you and make sure you don't leave. Uh, this was posted, the final blog, by Free Press columnist, oh, excuse me, Free Press beat writer for Michigan State, Joe Rexroad, who is leaving the paper for the Tennessean in Nashville as a columnist. And we could even discuss that, the fact that he's leaving and uh, Drew Sharp is staying. Because it, it, you, you, the free press, I think, botched that as someone uh, inside uh, the media mentioned to me the other day. This would have been a perfect opportunity. If Rexroad was desperate to get out of covering the uh, Spartans on a day-to-day basis as a beat writer, which has got to be an gr- absolute grind. You go from football to basketball. You're, you've got to be on call basically 24-7. It's got to be a, the, one of the toughest jobs if you want. I mean, it, it's there's, it's kind of thankless to me. And being a columnist is just, okay, you get an assignment. I'm going to cover this one game. going to write a column about it, maybe do a feature about someone. It's a cush gig. And if Rexroad wanted, for whatever reason, because he's got younger kids or he's getting older, he doesn't want to be on planes all the time, he wanted to be a columnist, the free press could have easily transitioned him to be the columnist they had cause to get rid of Drew Sharp. You get rid of him. You can you imagine a lot of? I mean, we've had our problems with Rex Road, but Rex Road's pretty beloved. I think he was a 2015 uh, Sports Writer of the Year in Michigan. You replace Sharp with Rex Road. I think they get a lot of positive press and in response from yeah, that. Re- Rex Road is liked by most people, and and Drew Sharp is so universally despised. despised. That would I, I never even thought about that angle, and that's a good point. I, I can't give out the source who brought that to me because I don't think they want me to to bring it up. But I thought it was a pretty good point, and I wanted to mention it on the air. I thought it was I thought it was very interesting, and I think I think even Michigan fans would have been happy with Rex Road replacing Sharp as a columnist uh, for the Detroit Free Press. And it'd been interesting. We haven't had really other than Seidel, who barely even writes, and what he does writes an absolute embarrassment. We haven't had really a new voice in, in town in a long time. It would have been interesting to see what Rex Road, uh, had to say about some issues. But this is his last blog, which is completely coming after us. Uh, he might as well have wrote this to and posted, Dear Jeff and Justin. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it verbatim. It's only one paragraph. I also embrace the idea of readers acting as media watchdogs. But if you're going to get into that sort of thing... I would hope you would try to be informed on how the business works. 
I would hope you would talk to people in the business to get a feel for that and for the people who are doing an honest job. I would hope you wouldn't resort to flailing your arms for attention and going for a lowest common denominator appeal by joking about such things as pedophilia and depression. Otherwise, I wouldn't expect you to be taken seriously. I mean, seriously, how did he not say, hey, Moss and Spiro, this one's for you? Depression and pedophilia. I want to break this down line by line real quick and respond to Joe Rexroad because since he's openly calling us out without having the balls in his blog to say, dear Detroit Sports Rag, can we talk about depression for a second? The only person we've made fun of depression-wise is one Chris Officer Bar Brady McCoskey, Detroit Tigers beat writer for the Detroit News. And I was wishing death and bad things to happen on this guy many, many years before I found out that he was clinically depressed and bipolar. I'm sure Rex Road's fine with it then. He should be. As long as, as, long as you wanted the guy embalmed <laughs> Look. before... Before the depression admission or whatever. I wanted him to drive a car into a lake way before I found out that he was clinically <laughs> depressed. That's my defense on that issue, okay? I mean, the, the Barbarity stuff goes back to the creation of the site in 2003. Oh, yeah, the whole Carlisle thing where he refused to give anyone credit, the DSR, for breaking the Carlisle story and, admitting, and basically stating that we just got lucky and we just guessed. That Carlisle was going to well, get fired. Well, he went on the air on DFN and bombed you uh, for the report and said it's not true, too, he, at one point. Uh, he, he said it wasn't true. He bombed me, said I was making up out of whole cloth. And then when it became true, he said I just guessed. And then when I called to be on the show on Brady and Sam Wilson's program when he was co-hosting a couple weeks after, he refused to go on the air with me because he's a coward. I wanted him dead then. And this was a good 10 years before I found out he wanted to drive his car into oncoming traffic on Pontiac Trail. So I'm not going to buy this lowest condominium. That's not Rex Road's point. You're joking about depression. I know, I know. I, yeah. uh, you know, and uh, for, for the record, I've never supported the making fun of Chris McCoskey for his depression. I think it's like making fun of someone for having cancer or something. I mean, but all I, I'm I, saying I, is it's a disease of the brain But I've, I've the been body, bombing but. this guy. But for years, it's like when people say I'm misogynistic because I go after uh, Jennifer Hammond. Like, oh, I don't go after men. Well, I would defend you on the Thank misogyny. You. I mean, I <laughs> yeah. go after everyone equally. Well, yeah, you call someone like a cunt and, and they'll say, you know, you're a misogynist for that. It's like, oh, it's just. Well, yeah, yeah right. I didn't know with, Scott Anderson was a girl. <laughs> well, it's nothing to do with anti-woman. Is, is no, point, it's anti-anti. You know, there's some of what Rex Rode said that is true. I mean, it, there's no question if your goal is to be taken so seriously that there are things that we've done to our own detriment. I don't think. It's insane to say that. I think he's probably right about most of what he said. So I would defend him. I would just say I think I think he has a, the wrong idea of what our goals are, and this is sort of a common misconception, is that you are a successful self-employed insurance adjuster. I went to law school. I'm working for the family business now. This is this is like our hobby. So this whole you know addressing something to an aspiring journalist or if you guys want to be taken so seriously – I just like this is this is like a, a fun thing for you and I to do, and we do take it seriously to an extent, but only so seriously. And I think we're we taking take it seriously to the extent that we want to entertain 
and right. provide information that people aren't we don't, getting from we don't, other places. The point is I we don't, don't want, want anyone, to be Joe Rex. I don't want anyone to think I'm Martin Luther King. I'm not I'm not trying to be an ombudsman well, that's the of thing. the Detroit we, sports media. I'm trying to entertain people. We get advice. We get do. we get this advice and it's been a repeated thing. Killer used to give it to you, rest in peace. Uh, it, you got it very disingenuously. Stony, you got Valente, it, Wojo, You got killer. it very disingenuously, uh, disingenuously from a huge Simonson on the west side of the state. This is something that we've heard over and over again, and I, I think people just missed the point. We're not sitting here. You and I are smart enough that I think we could carve out a path if we wanted to. We're both good enough writers. We're both intelligent enough. I honestly think we're both overqualified for the job that these people are trying to give us a path to. Thanks for the help. Yeah, right. I have the same degree as you do, Joe, and one better. So I, I don't need like Joe Rexroad's advice on how to get his job. I don't want Joe Rexroad's job. I my lifestyle would I would need to hit the yeah, lotto right. to be able to sustain. Can't I, imagine I, I you could be living I, in a palatial I couldn't, home. I couldn't pay my mortgage if I had Joe Rexroad's job. <laughs> so you know I appreciate. Well, the, you could if your dad was paying the bills. Well, that's fine. But you know I I appreciate like the advice and and I, I think Joe made good points and Joe and I made a very nice piece uh, the past few days. But, you know, this is – it's not even just about Joe. It's about anyone that keeps coming at us with this, if you guys want to be taken seriously. We don't care. You know, I like to keep a standard of our ethics here. Uh, I think you're a little bit more a fan of dancing on that line of, of you well, know, what's appropriate. Well, and I've said it many times. And that's fine. I grew, you know, up, that's, with, I, I grew up on Howard Stern. And what, I, what I've learned from Howard Stern – I use on the Detroit Sports Rag, and I don't think anyone would would, would accuse Howard Stern of uh, being of the highest common denominator or lowest common. But he's there to entertain. That's what I'm, that's what they don't get. They don't. Do they really think that I'm looking to be pointer, the pointer institute? That's not what I'm trying to do. No, we're not. I'm trying know. to make people laugh. At the end of the day, that's mainly the main thing I would like to do. People listen to this podcast. People reading my Twitter feed. People reading my articles when I seldom write them anymore. I want people to laugh and have fun and be entertained. And if I call Scott Anderson the virginal manatee, or what, what I, is it lowest common denominator? I don't care. I'm trying to entertain people at the end of the day. Like I said, I'm not trying to be an ombudsman for you people. Uh, get it through your head. And th- this is what we're going to continue to do. Uh, it, I'm sorry if... You know, Mike Valente, Mike Stone, and Tom Kowalski couldn't convince me to straighten out my act. Uh, Joe Rex wrote on the way out of town to Nashville, you ain't going to do it. And I love that Joe had a different segment in that blog where he addresses aspiring sports writers. And one of his pieces of uh, pieces of advice was to not just go to the press conferences and rely on that information. They actually get out in the mud and report on things. And I thought that was a direct response to me labeling him and so many others in this town as press conference stenographers. Now, I, I tweeted out, I thought Rex Road, uh, I thought that criticism was a little too harsh when I looked back. I, I had forgotten some of the work Rex had done with the Rather Hall incident with the ski mass at Michigan State and he was actually uh, persona non grata up there for a couple of months. I, that was like five, six years ago. I had totally forgotten that that was even him that had done that reporting. So I, you know, I had to walk that back a little bit. I do think Rex has gone very soft the past few years and has not challenged Michigan State on certain things like the bull issue like he should have. And I think that criticism was legit. But he has a lot more on his resume that's positive than anyone else, certainly uh, in that Michigan State realm. So it, I, I do think 
we have no aspirations of being press conference stenographers, and that's what 90% of the Detroit media is. They go to the press conference. They ask their softball questions. They ask what number Brad Ausmus is going to wear and if he was in the dugout in San Diego, even though he was in the front office. And they go home. They write out there. They plug in their little quotes. It's like a, it's like a you know paint by number puzzle that they do. And we have no interest in doing that. That's not what we're going for. And you know appreciate the advice, Joe. But we're gonna keep doing our thing. And that's that's gonna be it. All right, we're gonna come back. We're gonna take a break. Maybe we'll talk about the Red Wings for a little while. They start the playoffs tomorrow at seven o'clock. I just. I, I got my uh, face paint, and I'm going to get my hair painted red. Wings and six. Well, yeah, can't wait for uh, can't wait to see uh, more of what happened on Sunday. We'll talk about that. You are listening to the DetroitSportsRag.com podcast, brought to you by KellyTickets.com. In this part of Africa, we all have a say. Whenever something bad happens, we just throw our hands to the sky and say, Has a diga Ibowai. Has a diga Ibowai? It's the only way to get through all these troubled times. There's war, poverty, famine. But having a saying makes it all seem better. There isn't enough food to eat. Has a diga Ibowai. People are starving in the street. Has a diga Ibowai. Pretty neat. Does it mean no worries for the rest of our days? Kind of. We've had no rain in several days. Hasadiga Ibowai. And 80% of us have AIDS. Hasadiga Ibowai. Many young girls here get circumcised. The clits get cut right off. Well, and so we sail up to the sky. Hasadiga Ibowai. to the sky and list off the bad things in your life. Somebody took our luggage away. The plane was crowded and the bus was late. When the world is getting you down, there's nobody else to blame. Raise your middle finger to the sky and curse his rotten name. Wait, what? Am I saying that? Excuse me, sir, but, but what exactly does that phrase mean? Well, let's see. Ibowai means God, and Hasadika means fuck you. So I guess in English it would be fuck you, God. Hasadika Ibowai. What? When God fucks you in the butt. Hasadika Ibowai. Fuck God right back in his cunt. Hasadika Ibowai. sir, but you should really not be saying that. Things aren't always as bad as they seem. Oh, really? Well, take this fucking asshole Matumbo here. He got caught last week trying to rape a baby. What? Why? Some people in his tribe believe that having sex with a virgin will cure their AIDS. There aren't many virgins left, so some of them are turning to babies. But that's horrible. I know. Asadiga Ibowai. Here's the butcher. He has AIDS. She has AIDS. Here's the doctor. He has AIDS. Here's my daughter. She has AIDS.
wonderful disposition. She's all I have left in the world. And if either of you lays a hand on her, I will give you my aid. Oh, if you don't like what we say, try living here a couple days. Watch all your friends and family die. Asadiga Ibo Music from the Book of Mormon, Hasadiga Ibowai. Uh, if you can see that musical, I would highly advise that you do so. Can't believe they haven't. There hasn't been an announcement yet, Spiro, about them making the movie version of that because I cannot wait for that. It's so good. Oh, I so good. I mean, obviously, if you don't know the history, the the um, people behind South Park, Team America, Trey Parker, Matt Stone. Just an absolute brilliant musical. I think I've seen it four or five times now. I don't know how many times you've seen it, but uh, it hasn't been here in a while. Needs to come. So you want to talk about every playoff series? So Mahir Bhagatnagar will be happy. Uh, no. NHL, as long as we're talking about shit no one wants to talk about. Or? I, I do want to talk about the Red Wings because we do have a difference of opinion. I think we argued. We've been arguing a lot on Twitter lately. We've had uh, disputes about things like degrees of murder. Uh, well, you're just ridiculous on that. But <laughs> can we t- want to talk about that for a second? The murder thing. Well, there's a difference. Okay, manslaughter. If you're defending someone with extreme force, defending yourself with extreme force, and you kill someone, that's not murder. That's manslaughter. It's I not. Would. I mean, that's just. Well, it depends on the circumstances. Okay, well, it but, should I mean, be Connor McCowan in the Andrew Singler case was a self-defense case of excessive force used in self-defense. Well, that was his was, excuse. That was his. No, it was. Uh, that's not. I mean, that was excuse, but that the court acknowledged and the jury knew and understood that he was attacked first. That was actually not in dispute. The witness that was a prosecution witness admitted that. Okay, so he should go to jail for the rest of his life. Sorry. Well, okay. I, I, I my know, opinion on this killed, is, killed my friend, so I don't. I don't, I don't right. hate that. <laughs> my, my opinion you know, on this is, but, I'm not talking about maybe texting and driving and getting an accident and you kill someone, but. I don't see any difference between planning something and murdering someone and killing someone in a traffic accident and getting out and shooting them for no reason. As, an, as someone who's an atheist and who believes you only have one life, I think that person should be taken off the streets forever, and that's the end of it. Now, you want to talk about other circumstances like Nick Cage in uh, um, what's the movie that he uh, killed someone in self-defense at the bar, the, the plane movie where uh con air con air okay you want to talk about circumstances like that that's a different story i don't think that's murder but uh yeah to me 
I don't give a, for a, a fuck about first or second degree murder. You kill someone in cold blood like that, whether you planned it or you didn't plan it, you should go to jail for the rest of your life. Well, I'll, I'll keep that in mind when you get murdered by a member of the Detroit media. You've already there's already been one attempted murder on you with Rob, Rob Parker. Parker. Rob Parker. Yeah. Although if he had hit you with that car, I think the car might have taken the worse end of that. <laughs> that, beater, that, that beater Cherokee. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the wings uh, and stop breaking down uh, the uh, penal code. My position on what happened over the weekend is it was an absolute embarrassment. The Red Wings beat a team that didn't care about winning at all. In fact, they probably, the players to a man, wanted to lose. The New York Rangers, they rested their Hall of Fame goalie, who's won the Vesna. They rested two of their top defensemen. They rested their leading goal scorer. The memo didn't get to the coach who had a coach's challenge and took away a Yoakam Anderson goal. I don't know why he was doing that. I mean, that that seemed that was absolutely bizarre considering winning the game meant you got to play the Pittsburgh Penguins and then most likely the Washington Capitals. Arguably the toughest route to the Stanley Cup of any uh, team in the league. Losing would have meant you get to face the Florida Panthers, where you'd have had home ice advantage in Sunrise, Florida, and then the winner of the Tampa Bay uh, Red Wings series. And then the Red Wings go out and lose that game completely back into the playoffs. There's backing in, and there's what happened Sunday with those circumstances. I'm sorry, I can't get excited about this potential playoff run when it took a loss by the Boston Bruins to the Carolina Hurricanes and the Ottawa Senators in the last week of the season to get this bad team with a goal differential, I think, of minus 13 on the year, flukily in... Is that a word, flukily? I don't know. Flukishly. Flukishly. I'm, I'm riled up, Justin, into the postseason. I'm sorry. They might win this series against decimated Tampa Bay Lightning. But I've never been less excited for a Red Wings potential playoff run than I am right now. Well, first of all, you've completely misstated my position entirely. Which, which I is, usually do. Uh, well, no, actually, you're usually relatively fair. I think that's more of a, a Jasper Apollonia bit. But I will say this. Uh, I don't think there's, you say to a man they wanted to lose that game. It's just not true. You know, I've, I've talked to our good friend, Jack Johnson of the NHL's Columbus Blue Jackets, who uh, are just the kings they're the Pistons of the NHL in that they always go like 9-2 and two in the last 11 games, miss the playoffs anyway, and then go from the first or second pick to like the ninth. I mean, they do it every year. They did it again they this, did year. this year. They went 5-2 and two at the end, and they you know dropped four spots. They do it every year. Every single year they do this. And I, I've asked Jack before during these streaks, and I say, hey, like – Guys might want to throw one in your own net or something. I mean, you know, there are a couple of good players in the draft, and whatnot. And he, you know, he kind of laughs. He goes, "Yeah, at the like you'll be in the locker room at the end of the game and be like, oh, we kind of fucked that one up by winning, ha ha." But once you're on the ice, they all want to win. They don't want to win any less. I mean, they might have a little, a little less motivation than you know a team that has so much at stake. But when you're out there, you're competitors, and they want to win the game. Now, as a fan, I'm with you. I'm I, I the, the fans that say never tank or. Uh, you know, I would never want to lose a game. I think that's nonsense. I, so I'm all for like the tank of Palooza in certain situations. But as yeah, an but a- they they were trying to tank by not playing no a, a third of their well, team. You know, the, the franchise, the, chal- the challenge what, of that oh, come goal. On. The you think you think, goal, you think Lundquist is playing that game if they have to win that game to no, get into the postseason? There's a, dif- there's a difference. It was an opportunity to rest someone without them getting hurt 
more than it was a tank fest because they didn't care if they won or lost necessarily. And if you know that that's what that was. There's a difference between actively just trying to pull guys off to lose and saying we're going to preserve this guy, give him an extra day or two off, and you know keep him out of the uh, off the injury report. You know, I I get what you're saying, but it's a little different. I'm telling you, those guys didn't want to lose. If an NHL team, even if three guys on a team in any given game were trying to lose or didn't care about winning at all, they would lose that game. I mean, it's just it's too competitive. So uh, I'm not. I agree with you that they should they should have wanted to lose. And as a fan of the Rangers, I would have wanted them to lose. I'm not disputing that. I'm not one of those knuckleheads that says you can't you can't do that. You gotta always want to win. Uh, but that's just I'm just telling you, matter of factly. My best friend in the whole world is an NHL player that's been in this exact type of situation where losing is beneficial, and they just they that's just not how they think, and that's not how they perform. I mean, at the end of the day, they're professionals, they're competitors, and it's almost like against their wiring they go out there and not try their hardest to play. I mean, they're going to play hard. So I've, I've never been more aggravated with this team in my life. And oh, that's th- a different and, argument. And this is some <laughs> well, no, I'm, I agree I'm, with you there, and I'm not tying you down to this, but. I mean, I've been through a lot of bad times with the Red Wings just because I'm a lot older than you. I mean, I saw a team go out and get like 40 points and get the first pick overall back in 1986. This was a team that was awful before they got Steve Eiserman in the early 80s. They were bad. This I mean, is the low point for me, and they're still right. like solid. Right. But they, but I don't know. When they drafted Eiserman, there was hope. Uh, when they even had the first pick overall in 86. And got Joe Murphy, and you could see things turning around. And I and I was younger then, so I really didn't, you know, I wasn't that into analytics and, and cynical. <laughs> but what's going on with this team on every level, from losing on Sunday to the Mitch Album Pavel Datsuk article coming out, where Datsuk says he's going back to Russia, basically, and the Red Wings are going to be left with $7.5 million of dead cap space next year on top of the other couple million dollars for uh, Kindle, Weiss, Brad Richards, the other couple million dollars, to the to then sending down Anthony Mantha, calling up Joachim Anderson, a guy who every single team in the league passed on when he was on waivers a couple months ago, a guy who's a third-line center in the AHL, and they're calling him up. And they're going to give him uh, time over Yuriko, Mantha, Pulkin, and whoever. The the complete mismanagement of this franchise on every level. It, it's just so disheartening. In the future, what's coming up with with, with what's going to go on? Because they're not going to get rid of Holland. We're, we haven't even started the horrible Abdulkader contract extension yet. It's they're making it so hard to be optimistic about the team, and to be fully engaged with this organization because of the, not because of anyone being upset, they, they, we've won four cups, but to be so incompetent and almost run in a fashion is a fuck you to the fans. The, the whole Mantha thing. You send down Mantha for this career loser, Anderson, and then you tell your fans, Ken Holland makes a Facebook post a Downriver Twitter post saying, oh, I don't know why you people think he's the answer. He was a spare part and not that good in the AHL last year. When you're the GM who called him up and put him on the top six in the first power play unit a couple weeks ago. How, how can you watch this team with any verve and vigor? 
Well, here's the real woe point in all this for me, and, and I, I agree with everything you've said. Don't, I don't dispute any of it. The real woe point and concerning point for me is in that Mitch Album article that you just mentioned, Pavel Datsuk, you know, he's leaving. They're going to have to eat that $7.5 million on the cap next year, just dead money. Ken Holland said in that story to Mitch Album that they have no intention of trying to dump that contract to a team trying to hit the floor. Now, here's a couple reasons why that's idiotic. For one... I mean, idiotic is being nice. That's the that, fucking stupid... It, it, it's, it's probably the position, worst... This, it's probably worst the, take I've ever heard. Because, it, it, first of all, you can have the worst trade in, in any sports history, and you know, there's always some degree of hindsight there. This is There's no, like... It's, you're trading literally a debt... For no debt. I mean, you're trading not having $7.5 million for having $7.5 million. And there'll be plenty of takers, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod for the Arizona Coyotes. Well, I don't think team- Arizona's one of the team, the Carolina Hurricanes. Oh, I think oh, yeah. Okay. I don't a think team, Arizona, I think I, they already have a contract on the books but, that they're, they're paying but for. But if you have... But they you, traded for. But they don't, ha- they don't have to pay the team that gets them. They don't have to pay the guy. So they can reach, no. they can reach the cap floor and not have to actually pay the guy to reach the cap floor. So... Datsuk's actually appealing to you know a team or two in this league that needs to need some help reaching the the, the cap floor because they can well, reach especially that. if you're going to have anything. especially because they're going to to do that and get the Red Wings off the hook they're going to say well we want Ryan Sproul or we want Nick Jensen or we want they'll get a piece or we want Timu Pulkinen yeah. they're going to get something get for some, taking they'll get that. something so they're gonna, which is, which makes Holland's incompetence and Holland saw Holland. There's only five million or something left on his like what twenty two and a half million dollar contract that he signed the three year deal. Howland basically asked for him to do this. Howland gave him a three year deal, knowing that any player over thirty five, if they go back or they retire, go back to Russia, do whatever the fuck they want, that that dead money is going to be on the cap, and either you're going to have to eat it, which is about ten percent of the salary cap, or you're going to have to trade assets for some other team to take that. He asked him for it. He basically asked uh, Datsuk to do this. It's uh, I can't imagine it. I mean, at least when Matt Millen made stupid decisions and he got into a fight with Jeff Hastings over a couple hundred thousand dollars and he lost Hastings to the Pittsburgh Steelers, at least Millen was doing it because he knew there was salary cap ramifications to giving Hastings what he wanted. Yeah, it was stupid losing Hastings. But at least Matt Millen, the worst general manager in the history of pro sports, understood the ramifications of a salary cap. This guy seems, and we saw your line from the other day on Twitter, this guy seems completely oblivious to there's a, that there's a cap. Well, and again, this it depends if we believe him or not. I think you could be in the article that you know is announcing Pavel Datsuk's essential retirement from the NHL. You want to be respectful. You're not going to, you're not, you know, you're going to get asked that question by Mitch Album. I can see Ken Holland saying, you know, oh, we're not going to do that. So I'm not going to. But why? I'm not going to. Well, because. Why, what's you, the positive of saying that? I mean, well, just. I'd say any, no comment of anything. Well, maybe that's fair too. I, I, that's fine. But I, I, I'm not going to, to set my hair on fire just yet. Only because I don't know, I can see him paying, you know, just kind of paying lip service to that, and you know, we'll come to that later. If they actually hold on to this contract for no other reason than the symbolic, oh my god, uh, pre- preserving the symbolism of having Datsuk not quote unquote ending his career in Detroit, even though he would never lace up the skates for a Carolina Hurricane type team, uh, I, I. I It'd be the worst thing that any GM has ever done in the history of sports, and I don't think that's hyperbole. 
at all. No, I don't either. It would be the worst thing that's ever happened. I, I'll say this. You know, you know um, a couple of my contacts with the Detroit Red Wings, and you know, we share a few over there. I know, and here's why I'm not so sure that I buy this Ken Holland line. There is a real concern down there of where this organization is going, not so much for next year, but for two years from now when they open the, the new arena. Yes, it'll be a novelty for a certain length of time, and that's terrific, but uh, it's going to hit a certain point where if they keep losing and they're stinking, uh, you have this brand new arena. They got to sell suites. They got this- well. My uncle's seats are going up double. Well, they're all going up uh, significantly, but double, like double. Yeah, yeah ours are double too. Yeah, yeah. ours so- are ours are they're literally doubled. Um, and uh, you know, I, I think, and it's not just even if you sell all the tickets, it's not just the tickets, it's the concessions. It's like, people are going to stop showing up. The Wings fans are already the most overrated fan base probably in the country. Agreed. I mean, just, you know, not the worst, but the most overrated. You know, just they're not as engaged as, you know, the whole hockey town thing's a joke. I mean, the, if the Wings go in the tank, people will stop showing up. Now, I think you can get enough goodwill from the new arena for maybe even an entire season of people going to check it out, even if the team is struggling. But they're not viable to go forward with this team struggling in this new arena. That's a real concern down there. This isn't me postulating. This is something from the front well, office. Be the guy that I've actually talked to in the front office, who we have our contact with, said that that's a legitimate concern. And if you open up this money and unload Datsuk on somewhere now, you can go get Stamkos, and they, they, they now you're viable again. You have Stamkos, right. Lark, and a fantasy you. I think Dave Harden just rang our doorbell. Yeah, well, we'll see that if that's the case. If it is, we'll go to a break, and then we'll take a quick break, and then... Should we take even take a quick break? Or, yeah, we should take a quick break. Yeah, we, we got to get set up with Dave. Yeah, so. but uh, for the people who are saying Strawman's out, Stamkos is out, yeah, they are. But so were a lot of players for the New York Rangers the other day, and the Wings still lost that game, a game that they had to win. They didn't know that Boston was going to get annihilated by the Ottawa Senators. Could the Wings win this series? I guess, of course, anything can happen in a in a series when – You've got a decimated team against a bad team. But I just have no hope for this playoff run after that game and the fact that they refuse to play the best players. I mean, we still now Athanasiu. I mean, this guy, goal per for, per minute has got to be tops on the team, I would think. He's drawn more penalties than any other player on that team in probably one-fifth the time. That he that, that he's had. I mean, he was in the minors for half the year, and then he plays seven minutes a game when he's here, and he still, still has drawn more penalties than Datsuk, Zetterberg, Larkin. He's one of the best players on the team, and he plays barely at all. Every if they were going into the series saying, "Look, let's just let's just roll it out. We're going to play Brendan Smith. Erickson's on the bench." We're going to play Yurko or Mantha. He's going to be first power play instead of Zetterberg, who's got zero five-on-four power play goals all year, even though he's like in the top 25 of power play minutes. This team is just, from Blashill to Holland, it's so mismanaged that I'm just, i sorry, I cannot get excited about tomorrow night. And maybe if they win the first game or something... It, well, I'm if, excited. And if Morazic was playing, I'm excited. I'd be excited. I'm, but, I'm into it. Oh, you're I, a, I'm a, man. I'm, oh man, are you a slap? I, I guess. I, that's, Look, I'll be watching. I'm into it. I'm into it. And Dave Harns has arrived. Oh my lord! We're gonna take a quick break. Just he hasn't thrown his water bottle at me yet either. 
Uh, does he I've have got any a weapons? Song loaded did, for you did you did you frisk Dave when he came in? Is there yeah, any, any? Did you put guns? him through the metal no, detector? No, no. You know, I figured it's going to happen one day, so I might as well be here to witness it. So, yeah. but what oh, if they take good. you out? Uh, I'm just going to go home now. Uh, Jimmy's going to come in not, and run the rest not, of the show. Don't worry, you don't have to worry. It's not in David's worldview to shoot us. So don't worry. <laughs> I know about he it. seems really nice. I feel like he's, he's not going to stab me. He's very nice, way nicer than us. Yeah. So we'll take one quick break for maybe a minute. Get him situated. Okay. We will be back with iSports Web's Dave Harns and the controversy that continues to follow him. our podcast number 26 april 12 2016 jessica producing as always and yeah i didn't pick that song i mean i did pick that song i just saw disturbed and threw it in there i think we played so. that every every week for the last three yeah. weeks now but whatever no, nobody you cut those that. out of the archive that's what happens when theo gridiron spite sabotages your system <laughs> and your oh yeah i'm sure i'm so sure limited I, i'm sure theo spite huge fan of disturbed <laughs> just seems like the type anyway uh we are here in studio that's spiro and joining us special guest Drove all the way down from the Lansing area. iSports Web's Dave Harns. And I don't think uh, you really need much of an introduction to anyone listening to this program. But obviously the reason that you are here, you wrote the article back in December regarding Miranda McCoy's relationship with one Connor Cook, QB at Michigan State. A very excellent article, uh, in-depth, long about uh, Miranda's um, relationship with Connor and in in her story as a uh, paraplegic or, or quadriplegic, I believe. And a couple weeks later, you uh, click on freep.com and you read a very similar story 
by one Drew Sharp. I'm not. We're not going to rehash the whole entire history. That led to some back and forth between you and the Free Press discussing the similarities. The Free Press then issued a little note that there might not have been proper attribution in Sharp's article. I think it was in the actual physical paper on the online version of the story, which I think is still up to this date. It also credited you for some background information and that there was not proper attribution uh, by Sharp. We believe that at some point uh, Justin Spiro broke the uh, story about what occurred, uh, I think, on Christmas Eve. And to our best knowledge, it appeared Sharp disappeared for, what, a week or 10 days or whatever. We believe he was suspended for what occurred. No uh, official announcement ever came from the free press, even though many national and local news sources tried to find out what was going on. Drew Sharp's back working at the Free Press. And uh, you're still not happy with Drew Sharp. No. And or me. Oh, no. And you, and, and you have uh, – listen, this is the DSR podcast. You can say whatever you want. No, there's no been no restrictions on your part. Um, you want to bomb me for anything, the floor is yours. We don't censor anything. Uh, if you're unhappy with me in any way, you can say it and – and, that, that, and, also, and I'll support him. And, and I'll, Spiro will support you, and Jessica probably will too. But uh, the floor is yours to say what I'll you want to say about any of these things, and then we'll go into some questions. That's fair. And uh, before we get started, let me say I was on sitting in a traffic jam on 696 listening to the F.U. God song playing on the Book of Mormon <laughs> on your, uh, that on your podcast, my, which, which I thought was a pretty good analogy for uh, the conversation to come because there was a car crash on the left side of the road. There was a guy trying to help a a person out of the car, and I, ca- I thought maybe Spiro and, and Moss is in the car, and, and Spiro's trying to help him out of this massive car crash. All the while, "Fu God" is playing in my heads, you know, in my headset while well, I'm driving. I, so. I want to clarify something: as you, a man of religion, me not a man of religion, I want Jessica to say on the record that last week I mm. sent you that song to be played. It wasn't meant for this week, but we didn't. Then last week we didn't take any breaks. Yeah, so true. I just said to you. Play with, so when that yeah. came on, we, we didn't even know it was We were coming. cracking up, we right? Like, the Dave Hard. Like, I hope Dave doesn't walk in while <laughs> Hasadiga Ibuai. Yeah, no, that legit happened. It wasn't like an intentional. No, I did thing. not intentionally. <laughs> no, it is try fine because I've actually seen the show and uh, it's it's hilariously funny. And it's coming back to the Wharton Center this summer, so I might go see it again. Oh, that's right. So, that, I did hear that. Okay. Yeah, but uh, get back to the story here. Um, the, the reason, so there's a few things that I regret, and one of the things that I regret about this whole situation is the tweet that I sent out after I talked to Drew Sharp. And that tweet said, y'all can stop tagging me. You know, we've talked, it's over. And if I could take anything back, that's what I would take back. Um, I thought your reaction to that tweet was a little over the top. Um, and we can talk about that later, yeah. you know, off the podcast. Yeah, I, but, was, I was a little angry. I, and I, and I'll, and, and, I am not going to absolve myself from anything I did vis-a-vis you. I made a conscious decision at that point. Basically, my opinion was this is the biggest story that we've ever uncovered in the history of the 13-year history of this fight uh, that Spiro wrote about, like I said, on, on December 24th that I had a little assistance in helping him with. To me, this was the biggest issue. The fact that a known troll, a man who's made his career – basically insulting his audience, was caught red-handed stealing your work. 
there, there can be no other description of it. He not only read your article, took pieces of it, chunks of it, for his background and his story. When you contacted the Free Press, and you've got a relationship with the paper because you, the iSports writes um, some guest blogs. You've written articles on the Free Press's uh, online website. Not only did he take chunks of your article, when called upon it, and you, and you are the one who – we didn't have this story. You broke it in your first blog about the situation. Sharp denied it. He lied to Kevin Bull, his boss, the now sports editor. He was just filling in, I think, at that time. He lied to him. He said, no, no, no. I talked to Cook. I got all that from him. He lied to his boss on top of plagiarizing and he got away with it red-handed because the free press has refused to comment. Deadline Detroit, awful announcing, Motor City Muckraker, Metro Time, all tried to find out what went down, get a, a, a quote from Robert Hushka, who's the editor, or anyone, a Kevin Bull. Nobody would talk. And to me, this was the biggest transgression, not only the original sin of stealing from you, but then him lying and then being called upon it. And once again, in your article, you said... Bull has Sharp give up his inf- his notes and his recordings, and it's found out that he couldn't have possibly, in a four- or five- or three-minute conversation with Connor Cook, basically probably got hours of background from Miranda McCoy. And I thought this was such, like I said, the biggest story that even if the DSR lost credibility, even if I burned every bridge, even if people turned on me, as Spiro has said, you were wrong. As you said, I was wrong. To me... It was worth it because I thought that this had to come to a head sooner or later, and I think it sort of did with your second follow-up article. And by the way, your uh, response to my tweet uh, caused the delay, if you will. Um, (laughs) I'm sitting here uh, second-guessing myself um, after my conversation with Drew Sharp. After I put that tweet out there, second-guessing myself, because the conversation with Drew Sharp did not go the way I expected it to go. It was um, an off-the-record conversation. It was an off-the-record conversation. And, and you were not allowed to be wired by the DSR. That's right. And unlike uh, and unlike others, I will keep that conversation off the record. He's talking about me. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's a fair dig. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I will respect that because that's important, I think. Um, and so – the converse, I will say this though the conversation did not go how I expected it to go. Um, had I and you can imagine how I'm confused. Yeah, it for doesn't because sure. because at the very least, whatever happened between you and Sharp, and I thought you were going to meet in person. You met. I think you talked on the phone. I think you said. Yep. It, there should have been something public. He should have said even if he just came out of his Twitter retirement and said, "I apologize to David Harnes. I shouldn't have done that." That would have gone a long and way. And Dave was not. And I've said this from day one. You were. The victim, you were victim number one, so to speak. Certainly the biggest victim. No one's disputing that. But you know, I have a journalism degree. Uh, yeah, Fourth I take, time he's mentioned that. Though. I take it well. I, third, okay. I, I take it seriously. No, I take it seriously as do you. For, which is why, even though I saw why Moss kind of went after you as he did, I didn't think that was the right thing to do. And I was as the you know sort of co-owner of the site or whatever you want to call it. That's I was strongly against it. But I do think that the public is a victim in this case, if you will, as well. And, you know, my the thing that I did criticize you for publicly is I, I thought that you were in a unique position 
to preserve the truth and, and to protect just the public as a victim in this case as well. And I thought that it wasn't just you that was victimized here. It wasn't just up to you to decide I'm going to absolve Drew Sharp because anybody that reads the free press, anybody that cares about the truth, that cares about the practices of, of journalists in this state has a vested interest in things being done a certain way. And you were in that you were the one guy that could have really hammered them and you absolved them on behalf of everybody else. Well, and that's fair. That's fair criticism. Um, put yourself in my shoes um, back on December 3rd. Um, I've got a good relationship with most of the the beat writers at the at the you know at MSU and with the people at the Free Press, and I see something in the paper that I recognize as there's a problem. Okay, I had two choices then. I took the hard choice, which was to go and go at it. So I'm asking the editor, you know. I, but here's the thing: the difference between you and I, Jeff, is that I. How much time do we have left? <laughs> I have. Um, I have I, enough. I have, Compassion. Uh, I <laughs> <Bomb>. <laughs> time out. Time out. Full time out. Um, I, my first perspective is: all right, Drew Sharp is an actual human being. He has a family. This is his livelihood. This is he. He needs you know theoretically needs a paycheck to survive. I don't know if he's a dad or if he has kids or any of that. But my first thought is: don't overreact. Don't apparently go Jeff Moss on him. Uh, and so I, I did the prudent thing, which is what I thought um, I would do. And, and I worked through that with the free press. It came back with an unsatisfactory answer. I continued to push. I reached out to uh, a few sources that I won't identify who made me realize that Drew Sharp was lying about the uh, way he got his information. Um, and I, pu- and, and, and I continued to push back. And then I got a phone call from the Free Press, and we talked. They apologized. Uh, they offered the remuneration for, the, uh, for my services, which I did never even expect. That's you why we've don- we donated it to charity, which, by the way, is a, is a, might as well plug that. Give, uh, give, give your money to the uh, Shriners of Chicago on behalf of Miranda McCoy and, and make something good of this. Which I have for um, yeah. someone with no compassion, but okay, go on. <laughs> um, Very little compassion is what he meant. That's uh, fair. Okay, like the, the smallest amount. Go, that's go, fair. Go on. And so, you know, at that point, you know, I I did push back, and and there was the the retraction was printed in the paper, the thing was put online. Now, was that by the rule of law what they had to do by pointers, whatever the rules are, the minimum? Yes, they did the minimum. Uh, Justin f- saw the the correction online somehow and looked at the uh, the sourcing and the attribution and and he did his work. He reached out to me. I gave him a statement. I again wasn't at the point where I wanted to bomb Drew Sharp because I expected that there would be a scenario where Drew and I would be able to f- work this out. That's just who I am. Do you it's- think that Drew apologizing to you in private and not apologizing to the public would have been enough? It didn't. Um, it or or say the free press explaining what happened. The free press to this day, and this is where my problem is. And I don't have any issue with what you did up until the point where it became public. I think you did all. I honestly, I'm not sure. I wouldn't have done similar things. Um, I thought you handled it. Perfectly. I thought you handled it perfectly up until yeah. the point where you tweeted out, "It's done," right. and that's when I went moss. Right, but. There's two things here, and, and, and you've kind of even 
absolved to a certain extent the free press in your most recent blog post when you said, well, they've handled it with you as, as well as you think they could have. But no, the, I didn't say that. Well, I mean, I still don't think you've really called out the free press as an entity. I've, Kevin talked, Bull, to the, I've, I've talked to the free press privately. Okay. And I have no need to talk to the free press publicly. Um, I was satisfied with the conversations that I've had with the free press privately. But do you think but Dave, the take care, public me, should be Dave, satisfied? Moss, let, Dave, take yourself out of it. If you are if you were just um, a journalism professor and you're talking to kids about you know how they should handle a certain thing and you're just a member of the public, however you want to phrase it uh, or frame it, don't you think that they owe some, t- some type of more transparent explanation of what happened? Because I'll tell you, in my article, the Society of Professional Journalists Ethics Board, who is not Jeff Moss, who is not me, the Ethics Board, for I mean, just the highest level of journalism said that this was egregious and they did not handle it appropriately. So don't you think they needed to do more, not for you, but for the public? I'll put it this way. If I was the free press, I would have done more. Okay. Is that fair? Well, that's fair enough. Yeah, it's not quite as um, detailed of a response as I would like, but I understand why you're giving the response Where that you do are. you stand right I, now with the free press and your relationship and, and your websites? Where, where does it stand? I mean, sure. after you kind of – carpet bomb the situation yeah and it, for you i mean yeah. me i would have done a little more of course but i mean for what for, for you i mean you wrote that article a couple weeks ago and I, i'm interested to see what the feedback was from the free press and, and what you heard i mean you've got friends uh, i'm your friends with rex road couch i think windsor these guys what, where's your relationship with those people the higher ups at the free press where is it now uh well let me back up a little bit and i will answer that question okay. if i don't remind me but um, back when the conversation with Sharp happened, it was the uh, end of January. I was on a trip in Florida, um, you know, and I and I and I tweeted that out because I really didn't want to deal with it while I was on my vacation. You know, that obviously you know didn't work out very well, and uh, and so when I got back, I thought you know I I really got to do something about this, but it's like now there's this big thing about it, and so I just kept waiting, and it kept hanging over my head. It kept hanging over my head like this is something I have to do. I need to write something about the situation because it's not handled. And at a certain point, I, I, I thought, you know what, I've waited too long. And then uh, Drew Sharp wrote his column, which was completely tone deaf and, you know. The article attacking Harbaugh. Yeah. And, and who was the other person? Yeah. Uh, on, uh, about their, LeBron James. About right. LeBron, about their Twitter behavior yeah. and about and just, uh, ge- yeah. the general Twitter public. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so it's like, you know. He is holding other people to a standard that he's not willing to hold himself to. And I thought, you know what? This gives me the opportunity. And, and of course, I have gotten a lot of backlash for waiting so long. And that's fair. I'll take it. I had the conversation with Joe White before we published it. Look, this is 60 days too late. Do we want to do it or not? And him and I walked through all of the thoughts on it. And, you know, I wrote it three different ways. And we both looked at it together. And we finally came up with a, a version of it that that – you know, didn't come off, I think, as sour grapes. It came off as, look, I should have done this sooner. You know, I apologize. Hey, Drew, it's not that hard, you know, to, to the people out here that I, that I didn't write this 60 days ago. And, you know, to answer your other question that you asked, uh, you know, I would say my relationship with, with most of the people is still good. There are a few people that uh, it's not good. And I'm not going to name names, obviously. I wouldn't even ask you. Right. And, uh, but I will say that you can tell which of the journalists are real journalists and which of them are kind of f- 
kind of floating through this, trying to not make as many waves as possible. Trying to keep a page. Trying to keep – yeah. And, and to be fair, it's their livelihood. So I give them a little bit of a break in regards to not bombing their paper for how they handle this situation. It's not an easy spot to be in if you're them because you're getting it. You're, you're told from your boss – don't say anything. Don't say anything. Right. So what are you going to do? Well, their gripe, you, their gripe should not be with the critics that are criticizing them. Their gripe should be with their editors that expose them to this sort of personal liability in this case where people are coming after them. I agree. I, I Do I think Nick Katsunika or whatever his name is deserves the scrutiny that we gave him? Probably not. But, you know, go, well, but, but we were – Go, go cry to your boss. It was a cause and we were trying to – we just for, wanted a response. I mean, I was trying to force you. I think we, I was trying to force Rex Road. I, I was deserved, trying to force. We deserved a response on this. Force uh, we the public, Josh Mansour, anyone who, uh, or uh, Burkett, anyone, just trying to put as much pressure on the situation that they would have to finally respond. And the thing about Sharp is, if this is you know, if this was someone else, if this was Rex Road who did this, or Seidel even, or Burkett, someone like that, you know. A, I'm sure they would probably would have apologized because they were probably decent human beings. And there wouldn't have been as the intense focus on the story. But this you cannot separate who did this from the story. This is a guy who's made his living being a troll. His last tweet is a shot at Michigan State fans and, and mocking Michigan State fans, using his AP ballot as a weapon against the, you know, to, to incite people. We caught him. Writing an article a few years ago about a Detroit Tigers game, a historical game, Justin Verlander's no hitter, which he clearly didn't watch, and the free and admitted press to, admitted to admitted to it. And the free press, time and time again, has defended him, and they've continued to keep him employed. And that that's where I think it's a little different. Would I have compassion for someone if it, anyone else in the media, probably, maybe even Anthony Fennick, who's never had any history of this, probably more so than Drew Sharp. Who's? This, it's like you can't do this if you're Drew Sharp. Yeah, and and like I said in my last article, I thought that Drew Sharp would join me on the high road. I really did. I honestly did. I did not know well, that was a, your fault. It was. <laughs> and, and, to, and to be fair, I didn't know a lot of this history until I read your article about my article because you know I didn't know these things. Um, I've been doing this for five or six years. You know, I got into this because it's something I love, and and I kind of would like to go back to just being able to write and have fun and enjoy sports again. Um, but this was kind of thrust upon me, and, and, and it's like for a while there I kind of didn't know how to handle it. And then you know, at a certain point it's like, you know what, I, honestly it was weighing on me. And I thought, you know what, I have to write this even if it's just to get it off my conscience. And I've, I feel a lot better over the last two weeks. Have you heard from Sharp? No. I I, 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 I'll say this. I want to maintain something that I have said from the beginning, and I know I've said it once even today is as hard as we have been on you and some of our readers have been on you, at the end of the day, Dave Harns was still a victim here. Dave Harns didn't do anything wrong. He was put in a bad position that he wanted nothing to do with. And I don't think you handled it great, but I don't think a lot of victims handle their situations well. So I'll defend you on that. Yeah, you don't know what's happening when you're in the middle of it. You don't know all of the repercussions of of what your next decision is going to be. You know, you make the best decision you can make at the time that you make it, and you you go with the consequences thereon. And I I tell my my kids that every day, you know. So I I learn it. It's it's like had I to do this all over again, 
I should have just written something at the very beginning and, and put it out there myself and, and, and kind of had the guts to do that. I should have uh, not just let uh, Drew Sharp off the hook when he called me and the, the conversation didn't go as I expected it to go. I should have at that point pushed harder. So I'm willing to admit the, the things that I did wrong. Um, I think that I did you know, what I could um, to, to fix that, uh, by, but still keep a modicum of journalistic integrity uh, whatever that looks like in this scenario. Um, this room doesn't do you, know what it looks do, do like. You, so. Well, maybe this side of the table. Yeah. Do, you, do you think if the article is broken by deadspin.com instead of the Detroit sports rag, Sharp reacts differently, is more apologetic, more out front about it? Do you think that the original source coming out and calling him out on it caused him to go into this shell that I'm not going to let the Detroit sports rag get the best of me. I don't know for a fact, but I would guess that that is the case. Um, I would say that, you know, you guys, I heard your talk on the way up here. I was listening to your conversation and you have different goals than, than iSports web does. You know, we, we right. want to write articles and we want to enjoy sports and we want to, you know, I've written critical articles and, and stories of the arrests and, and all these things too. But, you know, we, we're not, you you have a different goal than us, and and you've gone about this differently than than most everyone. Everyone, <laughs> and you've 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 got a name for yourself, and that name does not allow you. You've burned yourself. You put yourself in a point where the free press will not. They won't respond to you because it's you. So had had you not done what you've done, you would have more the more of the ability to have them respond to you. But it, it's who you are. It's what you are. I'm not going to excuse it. I wouldn't do it, but but I'm not the. Per- I didn't come here to tell you how to run your your business. Capitalism, do what you want. Capitalism. I've lost probably about twenty five thousand dollars <laughs> on this venture in the last thirteen years. I, and, and we and we had this discussion, and we're not going to rehash it. But I, I don't look. They didn't have to respond to me or Spiro. But the fact that they didn't respond to the Metro Times, to awful announcing a site that's probably one of the top ten. Sports websites in terms of hits, uh, they've hundreds, hundreds of thousands of uh, Twitter followers. That they didn't respond to that. That a former employer, Steve Neveling, the Motor City Muckraker, comes out and says this is a systemic problem with the Detroit Free Press of not giving attribution. Uh, going back to Mitch Album writing farcical columns, uh, the news department doing this, and that's why I think it's as bad as Drew Sharp is. At the end of the day. Spiro's position, and mine to a certain extent, is that Robert Hushka blocking people on Twitter for asking why he hasn't commented about just politely saying why haven't you commented about Drew Sharp's plagiarism issue? Um, I I understand iSports wants to keep a relationship with the Free Press. You've got students who want to write something and see their name on the Detroit Free Press. I understand that. I don't want that. I don't care. I never wanted that. But I understand why students would want it. But I think at the end of the day. The free, even if the free press was, was good with you, and I think they've taken care of things with you to a certain extent, they have not answered to the general public, and I don't think they ever will. That's fair criticism, to be honest with you. It's just the method in which you uh, put that criticism out there doesn't give you – you don't have any standing to receive an answer back from them. You don't personally. I'm talking to you. Um, well, let me tell you, you know, something. Deadspin has done way worse things to ESPN, way worse uh, A.G. Deloria, when he was the editor-in-chief of that website, did shit that I would never do. 
posting personal information about people's divorces, things that I have information that I could post that I've never done. But guess what? Deadspin responds to, or ESPN responds to Deadspin. And if Justin Spiro wrote the article, it wasn't even me. They're not off the hook. They have to respond the to source, what we wrote. The source doesn't matter. I, I, the, I think you're right. That's why they're not responding. That's I'm why. Not, I'm not saying but it's okay. I'm yeah. saying that's why. That's yeah. why. And but you're it's right. not okay. You're right about that. Because Deadspin, like I said, Steve Phillips, I mean, they've done way worse crap. So. Any, anything you want to say, parting shots before we go, we've got to wrap this up. Any, any, you could say anything. This is not the Detroit Free Press. Anything you want to say is a closing uh, uh, shot at me, at the Free Press, at Drew Sharp, whatever you want to say. How about just go to iSportsWeb.com and read our stuff? How's that? <laughs> I think we've gotten. I think we've you've gotten a lot of attention. I hey, mean, if there's Dave anything, Harns, uh, thanks so much yeah. for joining us. Uh, give you a lot of credit for showing up. That's more than 99 percent of the <laughs> our targets would ever do. So, especially with your commute, yep. appreciate. Want to thank uh, Hall of Famer. Rick Barry, was it Hydraulic Sports Beverage? Uh, I don't know. Go on the yeah, go on the we're archive. We're going to tweet it. Great. We're going to tweet it. Archive version. Thanks, Rick Barry. Thank you, Dave Harms. Thanks to Jessica as always. I hope you were entertained. I was. See you next Tuesday. Early. This is a previously recorded episode.